Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Thanks, my good friends, for tuning in to this episode, which is a little short because I released the Big and Little Harp episode a little early. And uh, listen as I tell you the tale about the red-headed man of Dorsey's Knob. The 1770s were quite a time in what was called Western Virginia, as the counties that comprised it had yet to split from Virginia to form the state of West Virginia. Morgantown was as it was then, wasn't much more than settlements that were surrounded by two forts, Fort Kern and Fort Coburn. These forts sat on the eastern bank of the Monongahela River in the shadow of beautiful Dorsey's Knob. Morgantown was literally the boundary of the colonial settlement. The land to the west over the river was the Ohio country where Legal settlements were prohibited by royal decree, which, with this being prior to the American Revolution, was indeed the law of the land. There was a conflict between the colony of Virginia and the Shawnee and Mingo American Indian nations, as they were called then. The governor of Virginia during this conflict was John Murray, 4th Earl of Dunmore, or as he was called, Lord Dunmore. Now, who was he? Well... He was a Scottish peer and colonial governor in the American colonies and the Bahamas as well. He was the last colonial governor of Virginia. Lord Dunmore was named governor of the province of New York in 1770, and he succeeded to the same position in the colony of Virginia the following year after the death of Norburn Berkeley, who was the fourth Baron of Botetourt. As Virginia's governor, 
Lord Dunmore directed the series of campaigns against the Trans-Appalachian natives known as Lord Dunmore's War. He is noted for issuing a 1775 document called Dunmore's Proclamation. A proclamation, I should say. I get tongue-tied on them long words, don't I? <laughs> Which offered freedom to any slave who fought for the crown against the patriots in Virginia. And that, of course, led to the great Lord fleeing from or to New York after the burning of the Norfolk in 1776 and later returned to Britain. In 1774, Lord Dunmore asked the Virginia House of Burgesses to declare a state of war with the Native American nations and call out the militia. The conflict resulted from escalating violence between the white settlers who, in accordance with previous treaties, were exploring and moving into land south of the Ohio River, which is modern-day West Virginia, southern Pennsylvania, and Kentucky, and the Native Americans who had rights to hunt there, of course. As a result of incursions and successive attacks by settlers upon Native lands, provoking Native war bands to retaliate, war was declared, quote, to pacify the hostile Indian war bands, end quote. The war ended soon after Virginia's victory in the Battle of Point Pleasant on October 10, 1774. As a result of this victory, the colonists took the natives' right to hunt in the area and agreed to reorganize the Ohio River as the boundary between native lands and the 13 colonies. Although the Native American National Chieftains signed the Treaty, treaty of Camp Charlotte, Chief Mingo refused to accept the terms. Major William Crawford attacked their village of Seekonk near present Steubenville, Ohio. His force of 240 men destroyed the village. These operations and the submission of the Shawnee at Camp Charlotte virtually finished that war. That was until war broke out between the American settlers and the British in 1776. The war parties of the Native nations quickly regained power. They mobilized the various Native nations to attack the settlers during the Revolutionary War. Early in the spring of 1778, a large Native raiding party that had never agreed to the Treaty of Camp Charlotte came into Monongahela County, hell-bent on revenge. Their murderous rage was the answer to the events perpetrated by the colonial settlers in the wake of Lord Dunmore's War. The raiding party set up an ambush on a group of settlers who were returning with an armed escort from planting corn about a mile from Fort Coburn. The natives hid in the bushes on both sides of the road to the fort and ambushed the party on their way back to the fort, firing into the group before they even realized the natives were attacking them. Amazingly, most of the settlers escaped and only two men and a horse well, who had been part of the armed escort, were killed in the attack. Jacob Miller was shot through the abdomen and tomahawked and scalped as he died. Another, John Woodfin, who was shot in the thigh, was trapped underneath the weight of his dying horse. It's always interested me when I discuss Native Americans scalping somebody that nobody today seems to know why they did that, and thus it is been popularized as a Native American ritual of some sort. Nothing, in fact, could be further from the truth. The 
simple cut to the truth answer is that once the fighting started between the settlers and the natives, the settlers were the ones who started the scalping. They treated the natives as if they were nothing more than a nuisance, much like a coyote. They put a bounty out for the murder of Native Americans, which was paid upon the presentation to the scalps of the victims. The Native Americans couldn't make sense of that at first. They figured that it must be some sort of a belief held by a white man that would trap the souls of those that had been scalped in their bodies for eternity. So they figured turnabout was fair play and took the scalping in return. Now that I've waxed on about scalping long enough, let's pick things up. The rest of the party escaped back to Fort Coban. The natives captured John Woodfin by dragging him out from under his dead horse. To make an example of those who would attack and kill Native Americans, Mr. Woodfin was taken to the rocks on top of Dorsey's Knob. There, overlooking Fort Coban, where everybody could watch, the natives tied him to two slender poles that had been driven into the ground and tied together to form an X, with each of his arms and legs secured to separate end of the pole. John Woodfin was then systematically skinned from the top of his head all the way to the base of his neck. His skinless head now looked like a beacon of warning to the settlers in the fort below. The natives stood guard until John Winfit Woodfin died of his hideous wounds right there on top of Dorsey's knob. His bloody, broken body remained in view until the settlers found it safe to retrieve his body for burial in a small cemetery near the fort. But after dying such an unbelievably horrific death, Old John is doing anything but resting in peace. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now, throughout the centuries since his death, there have been many visitors to Dorset's Knob who have encountered old John Woodfin, or, as he is locally known, the Red-Headed Man. It is said that over the last 240-some years, the red-headed man has approached many unsuspecting visitors at Dorsey's Knob, day or night. He's been spotted by families on picnics, couples in cars, and hikers exploring the heights of the town's tallest point. But John Woodfin is not a happy ghost, to say the least. To encounter the red-headed man is an encounter with an angry, vengeful inhuman. His goal is to approach a living individual, attack him, and steal the skin from the face and head to replace his own, which he lost. During the attacks, his veiny, unhealed flesh still glistens with the gore of his wounds. There is, however, protection against the red-headed man. Visitors who know the story will carry a small homemade X, basically two sticks tied together with twine to make an X and they carry it in their windshields and their pockets and backpacks. Evidently, old John has still a, got a healthy fear of a wooden ex. Uh, who could blame him? Of course, you can't have a ghost story without somebody dying, and John Woodfin's bloody end came during a bloody time in our history. So if you ever find yourself up on Dorsey's knob, just be sure you got your wooden ex with you, and it might not hurt to... Had a kind word for old John Woodfin. I hope you've enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast and don't forget to subscribe. Please go over to our Patreon page, 
at patreon.com. Search Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend and give it a look. If you'd like to join, there are several levels to choose from, starting at Mountain Boomer all the way up to Appalachian Hillbilly. Or you can go to Facebook group, Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend podcast, where we can discuss everything from Appalachia or whatever else you'd like to talk about. I'll see you soon with another Appalachian murder mystery or legend. See you then.